And the Oscar goes to... picture <laughs> a podcast where we explore underrated or off-the-wall movies we think are totally blessed i am your host shelby mooring i'm your other host sky Payne. and uh, this week we are talking about a movie for our pride month series that i would say invented the phrase let's go lesbians <laughs> <laughs> bound baby we're talking about and- bound Please welcome to the podcast someone who says, no cops at Pride, only the gay krill from Happy Feet 2. <laughs> That's right. Bill and Will Krill. We love, love them. And I thought of that. Romantic couple. <laughs> I thought of that intro the other day and I was like, I have to, I have to do it. I do. Yeah. I mean, again, like some of the most iconic gay characters in cinema that we've seen. I I cried during Happy Feet too. I know. I I mean, the under pressure scene—it's okay. Yeah, you don't have a heart if you don't cry. That and like, like okay, so like when they like break up temporarily, and you think it's all over for the krill, and you're so sad. I was so sad. I couldn't believe it. Um. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Blessed picture of the week. Let's do it. Uh, Ammon, would you like to go first? I would love to go first. So I saw a movie this last week that people have been asking me to watch for probably close to 20 years now. Um, one of my friends in middle school always told me, Ammon, you need to watch SLC Punk because wow, that's the movie. Yeah. And I watched it for the first time. And that movie, man, it's incredible. It's I've, of course I've got our boy Matthew Miller. Oh, you need to, uh, it's, it's so, so good. So the, the best thing is it's, it's like everything has changed, but nothing has changed in Salt Lake City. (laughs) Um, I gotta watch it. So it's at at that time, it was a period piece. It's set in the late eighties. It came out in 98, I think. Um, And it's just following the life of these punks in Salt Lake City, um, which it's based on some of the real life experiences of the director um, but, uh, Matthew Lillard is the main character. He plays He's Steve-O, um, and him. he runs around with his buddy, Heroin Bob, who does not do heroin. He is, <laughs> he hates all drugs, um, but he's scared yeah. of needles, which is why they ironically call him Heroin Bob. Kind of, it's, the movie's all over the place. It's great. There's so many tangents. It's, um, a lot of cool, like, talking to the camera, explaining who all the different tribes are from the punk felt a lot like kind of like a Kurt Vonnegut book just kind of like going off on these tangents kind of like the Americana but most importantly it checked off the box of like all my favorite movies which is like very sweet relationships between two guys like I didn't expect how sweet guys the movie is dudes. yeah yeah we love guys but it's also dudes. like very like making fun of Gen mm-hmm. X which I love of course um and kind of like how everyone wants to be like super punk but you know there's no ethical consumption of under capitalism yeah kind of thing i gotta watch it um i can do my my blessed picture of the week next um mine is bo burnham's inside which uh why did i know i just knew you were gonna say that (laughs) um i wouldn't (laughs) it's 
I guess it's a comedy special, but also it is like a very interesting exploration of what happened during quarantine and how it felt to be creative. And it is like equal parts horny and sad and just like unbelievable. And um, I really loved it. It's great. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because I've seen the majority of people really love it. And then I've seen a couple of people be very weird about it and like very anti Bo Burnham. And I'm not really yeah. sure where it's coming from I I, because I, I haven't seen it. Realize. So I'm like, I can't get further context for it. Very strange. Did you see the, uh, uh, did you see the Elsie Fisher tweet? <laughs> where <laughs> she was like, everyone keeps congratulating me on Bo Burnham's special. Like, I'm yeah. <laughs> So funny, honestly, like a top tier Twitter account, like truly very good. Oh my god, Elsie Fisher's incredible. Every tweet, like, like the time (laughs) the account became evil Evil (laughs) Paddington. So great. Uh, I think about it all the time. I truly think about it all the time. And the tweets Um, were like, "I don't like marmalade anymore." (laughs) You know. It felt very much like Dakota Johnson revealing she doesn't actually like limes. <laughs> it was all oh a perfect illusion. That's all it was. <laughs> but um, yeah, watch watch the special, but be in the right headspace for it because it is very heavy. But no, mine, mine also is a new release um, and it's called Plan B. It was directed by uh, Natalie Morales. No, not the Today Show one, the other one. The other the one, the one that's actress. in Parks and Rec. Yeah, um, bisexual legend, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so she directs this movie and she actually directed two movies like very close together and they both either have been released or the other one's going to be released soon. I can't remember the specifics on that. Um, but Plan B just got put onto Hulu and I'd never heard of it before. I just saw that she was directing it. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'll, I'll check it out. And um, I would definitely say that it, it's getting a lot of comparisons to Booksmart, Unpregnant, which I have not seen, so I can't comment on that. Um, and then, but the idea is that um, the lead, uh, Kuhu Verma, she is this like, you know, smart, you know, straight A kind of a student in school. And she's like, you know, very straight laced, the straight laced student, you know, she's like never had a boyfriend, never really kissed anybody. And her best friend uh, played by, hold on, I got to look up the actress's name, Victoria Morales. She is like a little bit wilder, you know, in comparison, whatever. And so like, she ends up throwing this party when her mom goes out of town and she ends up hooking up with this guy and it's like deeply awkward and horrifying and humiliating. It's just a lot of things at once. Um, And the next day she's like, oh shit, I think I need um, the morning after pill. So it becomes this whole journey, like with the two of them trying to get you know, the like plan B pill. And so, and cause the whole point is that like they live in the small town, it's not easily accessible. They can be denied it by the pharmacist because of, you know, legislation, et cetera, et cetera. So like at the core, it's this sort of horrifying and upsetting sort of narrative in that regard. But at the same time, it's a comedy. It's very much a romp. 
like surprisingly very funny considering the subject matter, um, yeah. very heartwarming, very sweet, just very genuine. Um, and the relationship between those two girls as best friends, like it's, it's really believable. They're really like awesome together. Um, and it's just like a nice little movie to kind of throw on. I mean, it's brisk. It's like 90 minutes, if I remember correctly, and just like really enjoyable. And it's, you know, and people can bag on like book smart and stuff like that all they want, but I'm totally fine with like girls getting to be like vulgar and gross, just like boys have always traditionally gotten. Yeah. I was listening to Hollywood handbook. Natalie Morales was like interviewed on it and she was talking about it. And I was like, I really have to see this movie. Cause like the way she talked about it was so interesting and she seems very fun and I got to watch it. Yeah, it's great. I think you would definitely like it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, it seems um, very up yeah. my alley. Yeah. Think never really, sometimes always mixed with like book smart and never going back and you've got your movie. <laughs> like, yeah, truly. I'll take it. I'll take it. I got to watch it. Um, so this week we're doing Bound, which is the 1996 movie the directorial debut of the Wachowskis, which is insane. Isn't that crazy? Wild. Like this is I, one of those movies you're, you get so mad. It's like, how do you do, do this <laughs> right out of the game? I, I was like, there's no fucking way that this is a first speech. I was like, there is no way. Like how? It's Literally unbelievable. How? And like, to me, I would definitely rank this up there with like boys in the hood in terms of being yeah. like incredible yeah. first feature, like debuts. Do yeah. it. <laughs> absurd and like it and it's just like this this incredible thing where there is you know people might look back on this film in comparison to the rest of their work and be like oh it's kind of an aberration because it's it's not really like their true full artistic vision in comparison to the way that like something like the matrix is or you know sense eight or something right but like, I'm like, it's like lower budget whatever but yeah. here's the thing though what's so great about it is that all of the signs are there. All of their trademarks yeah. are there. Mm-hmm. The way that they play with the camera is so fun and so interesting. And, and the visuals are really great. Like just down to simple yeah. things like using the color red in so oh many ways yeah. to like signify like lust and violence. And then yeah. like things like, like the even the beginning, like opening shot with like the title card and the way that it's oh, like that so cool. I was like... I like and yeah. into the closet and you're like, what am I looking at? Is this like, it's like that, the, what is it that like the inside of a cheese grater looks like a club kind of like vibe. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yes. That's what the beginning looks like in the best yeah. way possible. And it has all of that like comic book kind of energy that they have. And I mean, yes. that was very much the goal. It's like, yeah, truly I think it's, incredible. I think it's so impressive that like, so I, this is like one of the only one of their movies that like I haven't seen before. So this is like my first time watching it. And I think it's so impressive that like on their first feature, like their style is already there. Like they didn't have to like grow into their like artistic whatever, like it's, already there implemented like it feels so it's just like incredible to watch like I was like oh my god I can't believe that like they're so fucking talented that this is just like how they start off and they're like yeah we're just gonna like build on from here but like you're gonna see the like tenets of this movie like throughout the rest of our filmography mm-hmm. yeah and I mean it's also just interesting because like they had free reign on this film entirely yeah. um 
like to the point where like there's this really great anecdote that they give i mean first of all you have to understand that the only other thing that they had really done prior to this is they co-wrote a spec script for the Richard Donner film Assassins, which stars Antonio Banderas and Sly Stallone and also has a 1% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it is. I've attempted to watch it before for the meme and I made it. Oh God, <laughs> a nightmare. But like the whole thing there is that they claim that it was completely rewritten yeah. at whatever point. And so it's not, their movie technically and they tried to argue you know like it's not ours anymore but they couldn't get it their names taken off of it um due to wga rules um but you know after that point you know they they approach uh dino de laurentis and you know they're like we want to do this movie and they're kind of like dancing around the fact that it's about lesbians because they're like nervous that he's gonna say no because like there's this whole thing about him being this like Italian patriarch, this old man, you know, like they're not really sure how he's going to feel about it. And so in this interview that they did, you know, very early, literally around the time this movie is released, because, you know, famously, they're very much like they don't do interviews kind of a thing. Um, <laughs> Lana says, like, we had told him we were interested in directing a movie and he's a guy who's made a career out of giving people their first break. And he's great that way. He asked us what the story was about. And we were a little nervous about telling him the story because he's sort of this old Italian patriarch and we knew it was going to be about lesbians. We were sort of beating around the bush trying to explain it. There's a woman. And then there's this other woman. And Dino stopped us and was like, this first woman, she is a lesbian? And Lily says, and we were like, uh, yeah. And then Lana says, the second woman, is she a lesbian? And Lily says, um, yeah, she was. And then Lana says, then he claps his hands, his hands and says, done, we have a deal. <laughs> it's truly incredible. <laughs> he was like, yes, let's go lesbians, truly. <laughs> and this was like basically their like test case for the Matrix. Like they're like, okay, yes. let's see what you can do with like a lower budget we don't know if we can give you all that money and then they were like here have this money go make the matrix and 20 years later we're still making matrixes so yeah and they like sold the script for this around the same time of of the matrix you know which was like a big sale and everything um but yeah them having free reign really other than the budget really i think makes this movie what it is i mean without that it yeah, just would not be the same. Like studio intervention would have ruined this film completely. Right. Literally. Um, like, and I think it's so critical that they got Bill Pope too and yes. started that relationship, right? Yeah. Incredible. Like, oh, there's so many things. Like a lesser director and a lesser, you know, director of cinematography would have, um, you know, just brushed over so many of these scenes. But the interesting way, you yeah. know, the way that we go over the different walls yeah. to see the different rooms, the way, that, you know, that line, that scene where the hands are lined up against each other across the, yes. oh man. And so much hand work. I mean, no. talk yeah. about the Nothing female gaze. freaking hands. You know that this movie was not directed by men. <laughs> <laughs> we should have known. We should have known. There's no way. <laughs> Just like, it's just like true lesbian content right there, baby. Like, like peak. Like it is. Like I was watching this and I was just like, oh my god. Like I knew this was like a lesbian movie, but I was like, this is a lesbian, a movie. lesbian yeah. movie with a capital L. And I was just obsessed. Like Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon, the chemistry is through the fucking roof. Like I was like, has there been like a better duo? I'm not sure. They're so know. good. They're so good. And it's funny because I watched this movie 
semi recently because I fully was like, well, we're doing, you know, Pride as like a mini series. So it was like, I've always wanted to watch this movie. Maybe now's the time. And I watched it and fully was like, yes, this is fucking incredible. This is great. And like, it's so funny because obviously I already knew going in, like their chemistry is going to be great. I love Gina Gershon, Stan Forever, Jennifer Tilly, great. And like Gershon, patron saint of our podcast. The patron saint, truly. (laughs) Oh, good. As she should be. We love her so much. Um, To quote her Wikipedia page, Gershon is a gay icon. Yeah. That's the only line. If only I could be Gina Gershon, man. I I know. Like, you know, and like, I just truly was blown away by like how much chemistry they had, how real it felt, how every single frame not only like was dripping with chemistry, but the way that they very specifically like would frame shots or the way that the camera would move or the way that they would focus on one of them, you know, at a specific moment. And it just all enhances this intense chemistry that they have. And it's really incredible. And it's so funny because there's this whole quote from Jennifer Tilly that I have where she talks about like filming the sex scenes and it was like you know she like I'll even read it off with Gina it was really relaxing because you could say things to her that you wouldn't say to other people like can you put your hand on my thighs here so my butt doesn't look so big can you hold my <laughs> breast up so it looks more plump and juicy you would never ever say those things to a man between takes I would say Gina there's a shoe sale at Barney's if we finish early we should go over to Barney's and shop for shoes so it was surprisingly unsexy but then when you saw it on screen I was blown away Violet and you have chemistry they have it in buckets so it's like completely just like you know sterile just like we're making a movie here you know whatever there's like a ton of people on set even though it was supposed to be a close set because they needed to like move the walls around so they could do it and that camera work that when they're like the big sex scene like for a movie that's like so sexy because like the hand content is really like one of the most erotic things i've ever seen but like there's really only one big like sex scene yes right that yeah, was the thing it's like the camera work when it's like circling them impeccable it's, it's incredible and it's impeccable. like so funny because it's like so sterile so just like kind of unsexy filming it and then it ends up being like the sexiest thing in the world and then you have the double punch of like they like hook up pretty early on and then like yeah. the majority of the movie doesn't really have that kind of content it's just more about the emotional connection and them being in yeah. those yeah. Like, dire straits but like you do not give a shit because it becomes a very compelling like small scale like mob movie which is like incredible which, again like it like really covers the basis of everything i love like we have gina gershon being a fucking icon yeah. and the sexiest person yeah. alive we have yeah. like a sort of heist there's a mob involved. Like, it's everything I could have asked Christopher for. Christopher Maloney, <laughs> we get a shot of the ass. My God, I did. Christopher Maloney. I didn't I mean, know he was in this. And when he showed up, oh, I said. Truly wild. And Joey Pants yeah. being the Joey peak Pants. Joey Pants. <sighs> Joey peak Pants. Joey oh, yeah. Pants. What a dude. I loved it. <laughs> and then, um, did you, when did you watch this movie for the first time? It was about two years ago when I okay. saw it for the first time. I was going through the Wachowski's filmography and I started from right from the beginning. It's uh, and so good. Yeah, it just blew me away. There were so many times I was just pumping my fist in the air yeah, to watch the yeah, movie for the like first time. Triumphant. I mean, just so many things. Uh, the, the scene where Jennifer Tilt, where Violet tells him, you don't know shit is so yes! satisfying. Like <laughs> that's, scream. I, I know I'm jumping ahead, but yeah, like, no. there's just so many moments like that throughout yes. the movie, right? Yes. Where you're just 
Mm. And it I was like very nervous. I, I didn't like Google the plot beforehand. All I knew it was like lesbians in the mob. And I was right. like so <laughs> stressed out. Like I was like, oh my God, if these lesbians don't get a happy ending, I'll lose my mind. Right? I was like, I can't let them I was, You like, really don't know where yeah. things are going to go. And no. I was like, I know the Wachowskis, they're like all over the place. Like they could give me a happy ending and they could not. So I was like- could, This movie could have easily been just super cynical, right? Like, yeah. And Which I mean, is why I was like on the edge of my seat the whole time. Cause I was like, what are they going to do next? Yeah. And I mean, when you look at the film itself and like, look at its influences, I mean, Billy Wilder is like the biggest one. They literally were yeah. like huge influence on this film and, and film noir as a whole is so important. And the thing is, is that it's so great because they are able to use the context of film noir and like people just having an understanding of how that genre works. You know, you go into the movie, yeah. you're like, here are the archetypes I understand, great. Um, I'm going to see them on the screen. It's all gonna make perfect sense. And then they're able to use that and then subvert it and twist it because they know you have these preconceived yes. notions. They know that you're coming in with this idea of what a film noir is. And it makes it so much more interesting, especially when you look at it from like a gender and like sexuality perspective, because yeah. film noir is very much a patriarchal, you know, heteronormative sort of genre traditionally, because yeah. I mean, the idea of a femme fatale is this obstacle. She is dangerous to men and she's often punished because she dares to go outside of norms. And I mean, Violet is very much the femme fatale in this movie in the way that she pursues Corky and in the way that she essentially sort of accidentally, in some cases, lures these men to their deaths. But she also uses she really is their trust. Yeah, but she also uses their trust against her as a means of like protecting herself or using them to get what she yeah. wants. And what's so great is that <laughs> great background change, incredible background Beautiful. change. Impeccable. Um, Tits out, Jennifer Tilly. We love it. Um, we love it. But like, uses that to her advantage. And like, when you really think about, you know, a traditional femme fatale as well, you know, they never end up with the guy. Like, that's never the point. The guy right. makes that alive usually, either with like some sort of girl next door type or just kind of on his own. But like, Corky and Violet make it out together and they're happy and like they've got the money and everything's like solved and like cleanly tied in a little bow and it's so exciting and I think it's also really interesting just in general to think about now in the context sort of like we do with the matrix of you know Lily and Lana being trans women and also being married to women which I think is really interesting and I mean they specifically have even said like look at the matrix through a trans lens like it's yeah. all there and so like watching the movie especially a second time I was like yeah no this is like fully a movie that came from two trans women who are in relationships with women like that is very yeah. much the vibe and I mean that in the most like encouraging like, and most for like, this loving movie. way yeah. <laughs> right yeah well, you've heard that um like the original version of the matrix there was a trans character right yeah, yeah. um and she, when she dies or when she's about to die, she says, like, not like this. And it's referring to the fact that she's one gender in the Matrix and one gender mm -hmm. out of the... Yeah. So but many mo good moments like that. It's so good. They're just truly geniuses. Like, there are, like, few filmmakers who I truly believe are just, like, they can do it all and they, like, have something important to say and I want to listen to what they have to say. And these two are absolutely top of the list. Right. Yeah. And to see them do it at such a small scale 
compared yeah. to their later well, stuff. And you it's just really see the brilliance right away. I mean, it's such a, the small scale of the story, right? That it yeah. almost takes place in one apartment building. Yeah. Like there's there's outside of it. very few sets, like crazy. Yeah. And the way that they just make the plot so interesting, like it's more intriguing than so many plots out there, right? Yeah. I mean, every little scene where things could potentially go wrong when the police show up. Oh my God, I was losing it. I was truly losing it. I was like, oh my God, they're fucked. I was like, there's no way they're getting out of this. Like, like, so stressed out. It's, yeah. And like the way that they're able to just like use those sets to the max, you know, it really does take place in like practically two locations, you know, three, I guess, if you count like the hallway and then you count like, the one room and then the other room, right? And like the and one like, time that like Corky goes to the bar, like that's it. Yeah, there's like not a ton. And then occasionally they're outside, like in the truck, like that's kind of it. And not only that, it's so just like cleanly plotted and paced. It's just like right. unbelievable, like tight as a drum kind of shit. And like, yet they still have time to like play around with visuals, do some interesting stuff sometimes, you know? And I love that. It's like, you know, I think oftentimes something like that would get cut because it just doesn't serve a purpose, maybe at least to a lot of like studio heads or, you know, people like that, but like they fully are like, no, this like enhances the story. It has meaning. It has, you know, um, a purpose in the narrative of their relationship. Yeah. Every shot has a purpose. Yeah. It's amazing. I was like fully obsessed with when all of the money is on the clotheslines yes and like yes the way that that that. is shot I was just like this is genius I want this I mean Joey Pants (laughs) Joey Pants laundering money and then like literally ironing literally laundering laundering the money it feels like a very Joey Pants thing to do I don't think there's just something so great lots of Joey Pants in the towel I mean a lot I was shocked I I don't usually see him as someone who's like hot but I was like I literally I was like, is Joey Pants hot? That was the question. I, I literally wrote that down. I wrote question mark. When he has the towel and it's like just covering his dick, like his hip bone is out. Like, yes. I was like, this is, I'm seeing a lot of Joey Pants right now. And I don't exactly. know what I'm feeling. It's like, I Joey, didn't expect Joey Pants this. Lists. This is a movie for the bisexuals, I guess. Were you Pants, Joey Pants, or were you Joey Pants Lists? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. God, I love it. And also it's like so wild to think about too, is that like obviously 1996, you know, still a lot of progress to be made. But they thought this is like a substantial movie for two women to, you know, to act in, right? Like these two roles are great and meaty. We would hope that to do. Yeah, we would hope any actress would like be throbbing at the mouth to like be in this because of like how substantial it is and I mean they're not wrong like any actors in the right mind would be like dying to get into this movie but like that didn't happen and so they had like a ton of trouble trying to cast the parts like to the point where initially it was Jennifer Tilly reading for Corky and Linda Hamilton reading for Violet which I cannot see at all like i'm so sorry to linda Linda hamilton Hamilton, no fantastic we like yeah great arms i just can't see her in this but not in this movie or at least not as violet i just can't see i think jennifer tilly is just so violet to to a t you know that i i just can't see it any other way and then like 
she liked the role specifically though, because she was like, it's outside of what I normally do. You know, it's, it's a little bit different for me and that's exciting. And then Gina Gershon comes into the equation and initially reads for Violet. And then they end up switching at some point. And then so smart. That was Jennifer Tilly was like, actually, yeah, no, like she's quirky. I'm not quirky. I'm but yeah. It was, it was a clear understanding. And by the end, of course, you know, now she's like, it was like one of my greatest roles. I love it so much. Um, it's so important to me. And that she like identified with the character as well, because it's yeah. like, she sees her as this woman who's underestimated by all the men around her and who has to like play the game, um, which is great. And Gina Gershon also is the one who suggested Joey Pants. So let's get that on Thank the you. record. <laughs> She's a queen. Um, so also, important because he's so good in the matrix too. Yeah, yeah. Like this like sets up like so much work for Joey Pants. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, Honestly. One of my, one of my favorite things I found when I was like doing research is on the commentary track, um, both Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon showed up like an hour late. Tilly said that she was running and was like, oh, sorry, I was so busy. I had to shower. And then this is my favorite line. Gershon offers no excuse, period. <laughs> I, I feel like that really fits both of them perfectly. Like, yeah. yeah, like it was truly, I was like, this is the most incredible thing and also like so indicative of their characters and I just I love them I love that that's great um also like back to Bill Pope very important because they they had another director of photography originally when they were working on this movie and he was like I'm done because this is a limited budget and I can't work with this and I don't know anyone else would be willing to work with you on this like cheaply and Bill Pope shows up and he's like oh yeah I know a bunch of cheap guys like we can get this done (laughs) was like let's do it and I mean it makes sense when you realize that before this he'd worked with like Sam Raimi who is like the king of like you know getting shit done on a budget like and doing it well (laughs) and like they work together for the rest of the Matrix films he's not listed on Matrix 4 but I mean I don't know if there's any other details I didn't really look that closely at that Wikipedia page but because that's a whole other rabbit hole I didn't have time to always been busy with Shang-Chi yeah yeah that's not doing Doctor Strange but he's doing Shang-Chi that looks good Marvel world now he also has done Clueless an iconic film he also has done that I love secretly the kid what is it Oh, the God. kid who would be king rules. Yes, that it movie does. I the love it. I love it. The, the kid from Fleabag is so good in it as young Patrick Stewart. Um, oh, so I love that movie. I will stand for the kid. Who would be king I feel like I have heard of exactly four people watching this movie, and I think you um, two are two of them. My my friend Carolyn, previous guest on this podcast, came to visit me um, a couple years ago. And during her visit, we saw that movie in theaters. <laughs> nice. Oh, God. It was really iconic. And so thank I you, Bill Pope. on a plane. I would not have seen it otherwise. But then I was like, I wish I had seen this in yeah. theaters. <laughs> thank you, Bill Pope, honestly. Yeah. Also, Baby but, Driver King. Yes, oh, yeah. he has worked on the majority of Edgar Wright's films post Scott Pilgrim, but he is not listed for um, Last Night in Soho. Um, he also worked on... Alita Battle Angel. Yes. I've never seen it. I haven't seen it. We have to watch it. I feel like Sky, we have to watch it. I, I, I feel, feel like, like I would have get not seen it. Alita Sky. That movie's like made for you. Okay. I, I feel like it. we would like it. I one time during Sundance, I was like waiting in a like standby line 
with like and I like made friends with these people around me and they were like well if we don't get him we'll go see Alita Battle Angel all together but then we got it so we didn't see Alita Battle Angel incredible okay I'm gonna give you a spoiler but it's been years so yeah. I don't feel guilty yeah at this point okay. I don't care you know the I you know the poster it. for Alita Battle Angel she has like the war paint on yes. yeah right you know that war paint is puppy blood <laughs> What oh my god canonically that is puppy blood there's a scene in which a puppy is killed and she gets so upset she leans down puts her fingers in the blood and wipes it under her eyes did dalmatians murder her parents as well <laughs> alita battling was actually the prequel to cruel yeah yeah incredible wow learning oh so god. much today learning lots um <laughs> but yeah so like bill pope and the Wachowskis ended up, you know, drawing from their love of comics together, and they were influenced by Frank Miller's neo-noir Sin City series in particular. Um, he ends up working on The Spirit, coincidentally, which is a flop movie, but it looks good from what I've seen, just visually. So <laughs> there's that, I guess. But um, there's also this really great information about, like, how the sex scenes were choreographed and, like, everything that sort of went into that. They were choreographed yeah. specifically by feminist writer and sex educator Susie Bright, and they were big fans of her work and like sent her a copy of the script asking her to be an extra in the film. And she's like, this is great. I really enjoy this. I love that like women are just like women be fucking like, I'm glad that that's what's happening here. Like it's, I love that. But like, she also was like, there's a lot of like missing details on the sex scenes themselves. So like, can I be a sex consultant for this movie? And they were like, hell yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Which like now, obviously every show is like, if you have a sex scene, you're like required to have an intimacy coordinator, but like back in the nineties, that did not happen. Right. And I think that that land. is like, yeah, it was a lawless land. And I think that that is why the sex scene feels so like fulfilling and so well done. And you just like, it's beautifully shot, like completely yes. the composition of everything. It's just great. You really, it's not there for like, I hate when there's like gratuitous sex scenes that you're just like, okay, I get it. Like, let's move on this. Yeah specifically like, when they don't have any chemistry it's like exactly. okay we get it like let's yes. move on or the director doesn't know how to shoot it like like someone like steven spielberg for example like having a sex scene in a movie it's like what this is foreign this is weird <laughs> so it doesn't make now. any sense like it's like okay i i don't think we needed this stevie stick to the to the things like that it just this is like just so well done and I love that like Susie Bright was like in this movie and she just like got a bunch yeah. of her friends to be like the extras at the gay bar really iconic which like the bartender only has like one line yeah but I love her same yes. like where they I just like, like I want to be friends like, yeah yeah what did she say she's like now that we're all caught up after <laughs> yeah yeah. That's so good. I love her. It's it's also just great because it adds a level of authenticity to the movie as well. Because it's like, oh, these are actual like lesbians in this movie, yeah. like yeah. populating yeah. the space and and adding just a little bit more layers and detail to this movie, making it feel authentic in that way, which is so great. And I mean, like the fact that they thought to include them in the movie is like really excellent for that reason. Um, and yeah, it's I like mean, a very thoughtful, very realistic portrayal of like gay friendship and like all that. Like, it's just very good. They did a great job. And, and like, 
and down to the way also that like we've talked about the hands but like the hands being such a huge focus it's like that is I a mean, motif yeah that is like a, re- a real detail that she helped to like really instill she was like yeah the hands are so important here if we're talking about sex between two women like we have to include this and like down to the like to the point where very early on we're just seeing hands all the time Jennifer Tilly's talking about hands you know being magic etc cetera, etc cetera. like it is fingers just, being snipped off yes it's a constant thing and I mean that has symbolic you know meaning there as as well as just like the shots where the hands are working and being kind of sensual you know like it all works together to really underscore also, the message here Gershon shaking hands with Joey pants like yes, right after I thought day. about that too <laughs> And she's kind of like hesitant about it. Yeah, like, you're like, you're like, oh wow, handshake. It must be important. My brain is not <laughs> wired to think that way. Mm. And you know what? It was. It was. Yeah. yeah. And also, like in general, what's upsetting too is that like the MPAA saw this movie and they were like, NC-17, no question about it. And Jennifer Tilly, in her interview with Vulture, was like, because. Um, or the MPAA said, because Jennifer and Gina are such good actors, it looks like she's really giving her a hand job. And Wachowski said, let me get this straight. If they weren't such good actors, you would let it through. And the MPAA sort of said, well, yeah. So then what they had to do was sub in another take. And she like went on this very sort of sad little um, tear about how like the particular take that they had to use, like there, there just was it just wasn't the same and it didn't look right. And it was a little yeah. bit lighter. It wasn't as dark and heavily shadowed. And like, it just didn't pop in the same way. And like, I felt so bad for her because she was like, clearly like so passionate about this fact, yeah. you know, the scene and the way it was shot and that specific like cut of it. And then being like, God, they picked the one I didn't like. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a very impassioned response. I really appreciated it from her. Same. I bought, so after- Sky asked me to be on this uh, episode. I bought the Blu-ray. It has an oh unrated version, so I wonder if that's in there. I, wow. I somehow I figured that you would like have already owned it because um one of my other introductions was like the one person keeping like physical media alive, um because you have the biggest collection of anybody I know. <laughs> it's true, and uh yeah, if. If you need more movies, let me just say, go to thrift stores these days. Yeah, They're all trying to get rid of their movies. And so they're all like a buck. Yeah. And that's for like half my collection. I would like, I would like you guys to guess, did either of you look at, I don't know if you looked at the box office for when this movie came out. That was the one thing I did not look at. It is bonkers. Um, What, what do you think that the first, the first movie that week is? It's a holdover. A holdover. Okay talking 96 yeah yes. like, can you give a brief description nothing to that would give it away it would give it away um another gay iconic movie another gay iconic movie from 90 from that year the problem is, is i don't know years very well like past a certain point so now i'm like searching my brain um a from 96 uh too early for cruel intentions um is it this isn't like awards play it's a, it's a group of three women kissing jessica stein no it's it's the first wives club oh okay oh my god wow see yeah I, my brain just immediately went to actually gay content like, yeah yeah, uh, yeah like same just, like, <laughs> 
<laughs> not I, like a I, camp classic yeah. kind of play. Um, and then it goes the Glimmer Man, that thing you do, D three, the Mighty Ducks. Oh hell yeah! Oh my god! Um, Independence Day is still holding strong at number six, and then Bound is number twelve. Yeah. Wow! So, what a that box is a office. wild year! Yeah, wow. I literally looked at it and I was like, "What is happening?" And Crash was fourteen, so Bound beat Crash at the box office. It's so both that <laughs> was both of their opening weekends, and I was like, "Hell yeah!" Crash. <laughs> what you got against cars? <laughs> Nothing. Good chow. <laughs> you know, that was the year I was born. So that Pretty is tough. interesting. Oh. And I, the only thing I really know about that year in film is that English Patient was a big deal and it won best picture and that was like it and I always think of the episode of Seinfeld where Elaine gets really mad because people are like have you seen the English patient and she like does not like it she's like what like what's the deal I don't understand why people like this it's not romantic whatever but yeah I'm glad you could reveal that information to me Um, (laughs) but also like what is so great about this movie is I mean, we've already kind of talked about it, but like just how much detail there there is in terms of like, not just visuals, but also story and like yeah. themes and all of that. It's incredibly rich. I mean, down to the fact that like, they say that this movie is about the boxes uh, people make of their lives. That it is not only gay people who live in closets, they wanted to define all of Bounce characters by the sort of trap that they were making out of their lives. So like we have like Violet trapped in her life with Caesar. And then we have Corky literally trapped in the closet at that one point, you know, like that we see immediately at the top of the film and then we kind of flash to um, down to like, you know, Caesar being like sort of trapped in this like weird mental state once he thinks that Johnny's betrayed him and he starts to kind of go just off the wall in terms of like... (laughs) you know, accusing everybody yeah. of, of being the one to take the money and freaking out. And, and he's like trapped in this weird headspace, but he's also like trapped in this relationship with these mob people. And it's like the thing that either kills him or it saves him. Right. Um, and not only that, you know, it's also very much a movie about trust. And I mean, trust is a huge thing right. in this movie and it's constantly talked about or portrayed in certain ways. So like you have the idea of like trust cutting both ways. It can be the thing that saves you. It can be the thing that ruins you. And Violet is a perfect example of like it going both ways because she places all of her trust in Corky and that could have gone horribly wrong, right? And Corky could have, you know, not come through for her if they didn't have this connection to one another. But also at the same time, Corky uses other people's trust, you know, to get what she wants. And not only that, in an you know, iconic like, way, like truly, I yes. was like, yeah. yes, do that. Like so smart, Constantly. It's so genius. Uses it to save herself. But these men also think that they have, you know, Violet's trust just naturally because she's a beautiful woman and she's like nice, but really they don't really know right. her, right? And everyone wants to believe that such a beautiful woman loves them. Like I yes. love how she- The second they give her the attention, end. yeah. Yeah. And how she she has to give that kiss to Mickey at the end just to seal the deal yeah. to make sure that she's safe, right? Exactly. So smart. Like it's just ugh, genius level. Like truly. And like Caesar is also a really interesting one because it's like 
he, in the beginning, the first thing that we really see when he first kind of talks is when he like freaks out because he thinks that like Corky's a man and that Violet's been cheating on him with a man. And then when he sees that Corky's a woman, he like, he relaxes because there's no possible way that Violet could be hooking up with another woman, right? That is, he doesn't even, that doesn't cross his mind at all. He just like sees like Corky in this like white wife beater tank top and he's like, a man is in my house. And then she's just like, hi, I'm here. Just like being the most Gina Gershon iconic. (laughs) But And it's like interesting because once he realizes that Corky's a woman, he's like, okay, I can place my trust back in Violet. And also like, I trust Corky just because it's like, oh, she's just, you know, it's a couple gals being pals, right? Like there's no other thought to it. And then as the movie goes on, he just has all of his trust in every single person eroded. And, but like, he still has this belief at the very end that Violet will not shoot him because of how long they've, you know, sort of been together, even though that's like an arranged thing. Um, And like, She's like, no, like, absolutely not. And shoots him anyway, which is really incredible. And I love that they use that and and the way that like everybody kind of fucks each other over and like uses trust as a weapon. And it's, it's incredible. I just blows my mind. The other characters, right? Johnny and well, Gino, right? Yeah. Right before Gino dies, you know, he's telling him like, we're family, we're family, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I know he the like starts, Italian man he starts yes. when he when he like switches like immediately when he's like basta I was like okay big my mother talking to the dogs in Italian energy like go off king like okay <laughs> okay but also his death scene so iconic yes. and Bill Pope once again like that nice wide lens yeah and beautiful backwards it's so good the drama the absolute drama. I, I was love like, that so much. And also, like it's worth noting that Caesar's name is Caesar. But yeah. like, Caesar's name also is Caesar, right? So it immediately sort of alludes to Julius Caesar, who famously wow. had trust in the wrong people and got wow. stabbed several I times never, because he was an I asshole. I hadn't thought of that either. That's wow, yeah. wow, wow, wow. Iconic. Also, yeah. Uh, they gave an interview uh, where they were like, yeah, we wrote like Caesar's last speech, like the morning of filming, which is crazy. <laughs> like, wow. Hello. I wish I had that I mean, talent. It's, it's right. so good that it's like, you almost believe that Joey Pants could have just improvised that on the spot. Like that's like- I actually think that Joey Pants just like fully, Im- like he did this all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, the spirit of Joey Pants is just in this role. He's so great. I mean, he's just so squirrely, like just so squirrely yes. once he like starts freaking out about the money. Like it's almost animalistic. And, like, like, sweaty. like when like, that shot of him sweaty. in the apartment, the shot of him in Johnny's apartment where he's like crouched on the ground and all of like the shit is torn up around yeah. him. Like he was like a rabid dog, Ooh. like looking for a piece of bacon or something. It's absurd. And it looks so great. Cause he just looks so just like unhinged and like animalistic. And like, he's really just like, being pushed to his limit you know over this money (laughs) it's incredible and they you know really you know allowed him to just give that performance and to really push back against you know like you know because like Violet and Corky like Gina Gershon and and Jennifer Tilly's performances are pretty grounded and he is just like so out there by the end of the movie but he he does it in a really great way where he you get flashes of his like 
of his neuroses, insanity a little bit, yeah. his neuroses and everything kind of the beginning. And then like a little bit throughout. And then it's like, as it ramps up, he like really goes there. Whereas Christopher Maloney is great, you know, but his level is Love the him. same the entire time. Yeah. Practically. He's just very right. much this hothead who is just like off his rocker and just like ready to like fight at a moment's notice kind of a thing. Like he's just sick with power, you know? Also and his one and little like earring was incredible. Yeah. Impeccable. I was like, yeah. I'm obsessed with this. I love Christopher. And that I suit, no it was like, the suit was so nice. What a suit. And like, like, I was like, what? And, what a fit from Christopher Maloney. And the bandage like over the nose, just a right. great detail. Just like a total like scumbag kind of vibe in the best way. Um, yeah. I, you know, and he's just so incredible. I like, and I like you didn't know he was in this movie going yeah. in. So I was, I was like, like, holy shit. <laughs> always like he, he he's always like that though yeah, right he yeah. always just up and stuff like wet hot american summer yes. like yes. Just- <laughs> yeah um the rewatchables podcast is like an award that they give for like the best like it's called like the joey pants award for like the best like that guy performance in a movie and i feel yeah. like in this movie it's christopher maloney gets the joey pants award <laughs> it's like for best- yeah. <laughs> yeah like that's it was, it's just like delightful. I love when I just That's love so great. When both of them show up in movies. It brings me joy. Yeah. Um, I just um, want to get into the plot more or is there anything else we'd like to say? Yeah. I, I mean, I have so much information, but I feel like we've covered a lot of ground already and, you know, so much of it, I think will come out yeah. in discussion. Right. Um, I'm just double checking. Nope. We covered most of it. So, okay. Let's get into the plot for Bound. We've got the dramatic intro, Bound, Metal Letters. What a title card. The shadow. Like, it's just good shit. Like, this right here tells you you're in for a ride. Okay, I was, like, a little scared. I was like, is this going to be too scary for me? Like, I, like, wasn't sure. I was like, oh, no. Like, what have I gotten myself into? I was like, oh, no. Yeah, it's, like, very intense. Right, like, you don't know if it's going to be, like, a Mulholland drive. Yeah. What are the vibes here? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And like in retrospect on rewatch, it makes total sense. But like definitely yeah, first watch, absolutely. it's like a lot to yes, process. I was like, oh God. Yeah. And like I said, cheese grater looks like a club kind of a thing. Like you don't really know what you're looking at at first, especially when they pan into the closet and you're just seeing like the hangers and like the light um, pulley and it like yeah. looks like foreign. It doesn't look like anything that we're used to right and then you like slowly realize oh no it's a closet yeah. and Gina Gershon is like fully like literally bound in this closet like you know um but it's really incredible and it really emphasizes like the sort of comic booky like graphic novel nature that they wanted to capture despite the rest of the film being fairly like grounded in comparison um yeah but yeah, so like we get that. We get some voiceover from from uh, Violet, Jennifer Tilly's character um, and her great, you know, ASMR sort of whisper voice that we love so much. What a voice. I read Incredible. a Calm app story or something. I don't know. It's just very, <laughs> I love it. She could totally have an entire second career just doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be fantastic. Um, but so we meet Corky 
Uh, she's a lesbian ex-con who was hired as a painter and plumber at an apartment building. And on her first day at work, she encounters Violet and Caesar, the couple who live next door to the apartment that she is renovating. And we get the elevator scene, which is also an incredible way to start this movie. It just, you meet yeah. them immediately and immediately there's this establishment of like, these two characters are going to hook up and it's yes. going to be great. You just the know from everyone. To pull that off, yeah. right? Yes. Like, that's amazing. Like, you know, right away, the look yeah. that they give you. I was like, yes. I was like, okay, so we're like, there's no ramping up. Like we are starting at a hundred and just like going up. Yeah. And like everything really enhances that that chemistry that they have and the fact that you know that they are going to eventually end up together at some point in this movie I mean the red of the elevator is like the most like this is about lust kind of thing possible and they're wearing like black leather like really could not be more obvious right the fits in this movie incredible incredible looks head to toe like so many incredible just but from both of them whether it's like the white tank top that's like a little dirty with like a leather jacket or if it's like you know one of the dresses that she wears or the incredible robe that she wears at the end like violet wears when she's like running down the stairs it's so good um but like and i just noticed like this second time where because i rewound the scene several times just because i was like there's so many little nuances to it I mean you have the fact that like the way that the camera moves is so interesting I mean to begin with you see like shot reverse shot of them kind of like acknowledging each other and like Gina has this like sort of surprised and bewildered look on her face as she like as as she sees Jennifer Tilly enter the elevator and it's like this immediate registration of like oh this is like this lady is hot I I'm interested in what she's selling you know and um And then there's like just this confidence radiating off Jennifer Tilly that's so incredible that tells you like this is our femme fatale kind of a vibe. And they just are staring at each other and Joey Pants is standing in front of them completely unaware. And then you get the overhead shot of Jennifer Tilly leaving the elevator after Joey Pants, like a little bit delayed. And then you get the perspective shot of her legs as she leaves the elevator, which is clearly like Corky being like, Nice. I like what yeah. I see. <laughs> it just Which, completely tells you for moment one, you know, can blame this, her. Is, this is happening. Right. It's great. And I mean, and that is so important to, to the overall story, because it's like, if you don't have that, obviously the relationship like on screen is not going to work, but also yeah. the entirety of like the mob drama part of it does not work because you do yeah. not believe if it doesn't work that Corky would do all of this for Violet. You'd be like, the why whole, is she wasting her time like right. and putting herself in danger for this? The whole concept of this movie like hinges upon their chemistry and the fact that like their chemistry is just like so through the roof and like the best thing I've ever seen. Like I was like, it just makes it all the better and like works perfectly. Yeah. And there's also still a hesitance there a little bit later on too, when yeah. like Corky's not really sure what's going on with Violet and she's like very confused about like her relationship sort of with um right. with a uh, Caesar for his name for a second there. And is like, you know, what's the deal there? And like she's kind of also like hesitant because it's like, well, you pass this straight, like so I don't really like I don't know if I can fully trust you, right? Kind of a right. thing. Like, are you really interested in me? what's the deal or is this just a romp and then like also the fact that like she's been screwed over in her life and literally that's why she ended up in jail last time 
So it's like, you know, she's like, I don't know if I can completely trust you. I have to really like put a lot of energy and time into helping you plan this heist. And like that takes a lot of extra trust that of course pays off in the end. Um, But then we get Violet for the first time coming to the apartment. She introduces herself to Corky and she asks her a favor, you know, like, will you wait to use the power tools because I'm a night person, you know? And she's like very suggestive talking about like the walls being thin. Also like both apartments feel like so sterile. Like it, they're, it's so bare bones. The whole, like this movie is just, I think it was like, when I was watching this, I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe that, like, this set is, like, nothing. Like, yeah. they could have filmed this, like, on a just a plain soundstage, and I would have felt the same way about it. I feel yeah. like, like, it's just, like, incredible. And yeah. what's interesting is that the red side of the wall is on Corky's side, whereas the white side of the wall is on Violet's side. And in general, her yeah. whole apartment is black and white with, like, minimal sort of touches of color here and there. And I think it further underscores, you know, the sort of situation between her and Caesar versus, you know, the situation with Corky. Yeah. And in general, I mean, that relationship is also just put in a big contrast because it's like the whole idea is that like, you know, Corky and Caesar have been together for like five years. He's paying her to stay around pretty much. And, you know, so you would think like, oh, there is trust there. That's a you know that's a solid relationship right nah, no right. he makes the wrong well, also assumption. it makes it so much more dramatic right when people yeah. start dying and blood yes. starts getting all over that white apartment and they clean it up with the white towels right oh my yes god. The white that towels. as well and like and the white toilet oh my god yeah it was so bloody shower curtain yeah so yeah. bloody i was not expecting that a ton i was of like blood. very caught off guard by how gory this movie was but um, that relationship, you know, should be rock solid, like I said, but it isn't, you know, because it's no. it's just bought, you know, it's not really a real relationship. And that's what makes the chemistry with Corky 10 times more important because it's like those two are in contrast fair. with each yeah. other. Because not only does she want to escape a violent life, but she also by the end is like also fully in love with Corky. So it's like, that is so important. Well, she just know? wants an actual relationship. Yeah. Right? Like something yeah. that's actually, she actually feels something. Yeah. So and isn't call it with Corky. Isn't surrounded by violence as well. Like that's so important to her. She's like, this is a stable person <laughs> comparison. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's something that I think she's been waiting for too. She has a couple schemes already up her sleeve when yeah. she's trying to go with Corky, right? She first yeah. she tries the coffee thing, like bring the cup back to me. Yes, yeah, she does the right? Kristen Dowdy, Jody for a banner pump rules, the classic, like leave something at the apartment so I can go in all dressed up and be like, look yeah. what you're missing you know kind of a thing right. <laughs> right and then she does the whole like porn intro like call the maintenance person over <laughs> yep <laughs> drops her earring down the sink it's like oops i totally meant to do that or i totally didn't mean to do that you know like not at all <laughs> which is so great really um, amazing and like so she like goes over to her apartment also there's great cattail there's <laughs> <laughs> there's also this very innuendo heavy um uh shot as well um after like after Corky hears Violet having sex and it's the shot of the snake going down the drain with yes. like like in the and most north disgusting. by northwest disgusting it's oh my god it's 
it's like peak North by Northwest, which has that like train going through the tunnel shot, which is about as subtle as a hammer. And it's very funny, just randomly. Um, but like, that's all I could think about in that moment as well, which I would not be surprised if that was very much, you know, or I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't like an intentional sort of homage to that. Um, and also like the snake in general has a bunch of like very sort of suggestive things, you know, written, yeah, written on the label, ridges, yeah. for it, which is great. Um, but so like Corky goes to Violet's apartment because of the earring being dropped in the sink. And first of all, Violet just answers the door in like a lacy bra, camisole top, fully what just like, fully knows what she's doing. <laughs> I was obsessed. Of course, then you get like the close-up shots of like Corky working on like the pipes under the sink. Yes. You get like the shot of like Violet's legs behind her. Violet you know, has a competency crazy. kink, and like you know what, I get it. <laughs> Especially <laughs> when like Caesar is like your boyfriend, husband, whatever. Like <laughs> he has no competency. <laughs> no, none whatsoever. I, I love the moment when Corky is fixing the 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 pipe, or she's unscrewing it, yeah. and she back she sees the legs and she just shakes her head that yeah, moment is she <laughs> knows yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I love like the exchange of like do I make you nervous quirky and she's like thirsty maybe curious maybe that's mm. funny I'm feeling a little bit curious myself <laughs> I, <laughs> so good I like screamed at those lines I was like Gina Gershon could say anything and it would sound sexy, right? Like truly Honestly. just her power. Like her being like, I used to love doggy chow and showgirls is like an iconic line delivery. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be really that funny, but it is. She really has, it's also she has dripping with a sexuality yeah. to it that it should not. <laughs> Here we are. It's incredible. Um, and then like you get, of course, you know, Violet being like, isn't it obvious I'm trying to seduce you? <laughs> Which so. it, it, she says it like so innocently and flirty, like, hello. Yeah. And I just fully running her hand down or like she, on her yeah. arm over the tattoo. When and she like, like oh, look traces at my tattoo. the tattoo. Oh, incredible. Now look at this tattoo conveniently placed right above my boob. Would you like yeah. to feel it? Like, yeah. <laughs> fully like horny queen, just like <laughs> no subtlety. Everybody coming out of quarantine in the pandemic, honestly. Truly, <laughs> truly. Really, really. And um, yeah, and then the two start hooking up. You're having a great time. And then of course, Joey Pants comes onto the scene and interrupts it. Full and immediately, force. you know, does the freak out over thinking that Corky's a man and that Violet's cheating on him. No, it's just, you know, a woman, no yeah. big deal. Um, and then like, you get this really great shot afterwards of, of Corky cleaning brushes in the sink. And then she goes, you know, like, Corky, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, and I love that. It's so good. Like, she knows she's getting in trouble. <laughs> she just is getting dragged back down to a world that she probably shouldn't. But you know, here we uh, are. It's the best. And then when she leaves for the day, uh, Violet ends up following her to her truck and they go to Corky's apartment and they have sex that happens you know and you get some really great lines there but in particular I'm apologizing for what I didn't do ah. being like yeah I didn't finish yes. the job last time so what um, a line. it's incredible and then you, there's just a lot of really great my job was like just like fully dropped the whole time it's incredible 
Yeah, like it's, the yeah. writing is unbelievable. Like it's, it's a horny masterpiece. A horny, horny masterpiece, masterpiece so smart and so clever and just like had me on my toes the whole time. Exactly. And then like after they've like slept together, you get that incredible sex scene that's like so well shot. It's like a masterpiece. Um, Corky asks if Caesar is a part of the mafia and Violet basically is like, I met Caesar after the mafia took over the club that I was working at. And he's basically a launderer for the, for the mafia. And they've been together for five years. Um, and then like, you know, we get some discussion about like Corky doing time for like redistribution of wealth. A socialist <laughs> icon. Thank you. Right. <laughs> we stand forever. We stand. Um, and then like, you get some stuff like, like Corky going back to the apartment and seeing this man um, going into Violet's apartment and she's like, oh, they're having sex. And that's where some of that hesitancy later kind of comes from. Um, And, you know, and then we get like to the point where we get Chris Maloney showing up for the first time and some other associates and this man that we saw at the apartment named Shelly. And as Corky's like working, she like overhears the men torturing Shelly she was begging to know where the money is, and Violet also it really is it from the apartment. I... Yeah, bad. And apparently, he actually got injured while filming that as oh, well. Really? Yeah, like fully, like banged his head on the toilet. Like it's like so violent. Like I, I was not expecting it, and I was just like, oh my god! Like all of this blood in the like stark white toilet, like congealing with the water. And when they cut his finger off, I was yeah. just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you get like a really incredible transition though, from like, you know, whatever it is before it might be the paint or something, but then yeah, you like the get to the to toilet yeah. and the blood is, is dripping all over yes. the place. Yeah. The transitions like in this another, movie are so smart. I was like, like down to like the blender one that happens also with the toilet after, which is like incredible. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. It's like the flushing toilet, but then it's also the blender, which I love. Like the one perfect shot and like or the one perfect cut in a doesn't want a space odyssey found dead kind of a thing yeah. you know? um also just the way that the edits like build suspense in those scenes yes, too, right? yes. like you know how to build like each little moment to make you know you dread what's going to happen or oh it's so brilliant yeah or subvert your expectations it's incredible right. and the editing really like it's it's so fucking good in this movie it's Zach unbelievable Stanberg, thank you for your work on the editing <laughs> We honor also, a legend. <laughs> also did the Matrix and like of course and Speed Racer, a bunch of things. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> and in that scene too, where you, you get to meet Mickey, right? Yeah. Yes. And, uh, I think Mickey is a really interesting character in this mm-hmm. movie, right? Um yes. just kind of calm, collected persona as opposed to everyone else, right? Yeah. He really feels like like the baseline. Like everyone else is operating at like a level of chaos that is just like almost too much to handle. And he is there mm-hmm. to like soften that. Calm but things. It makes down. it even the more terrifying yes. when he's the one that's cutting off the fingers. Yeah. Right? I'm like, yeah. oh my God, you have the straight man doing this? Like whole oh, okay. He is very much operating in a similar place as like Peter Falk and Mikey and Nikki. And that it's yeah. like you think he is this reasonable guy, right? But like he does have like a nasty side to him. But of course, you see that part of him a little bit, you know, sooner, sooner than in Mikey and Nikki. And then yeah. he's kind of like the reasonable guy for the rest of the movie, which I think is very smart of them to do because it's like, like you know what he's capable many, like, of. 
Yeah. He, like, you know what he's yeah. capable of and it's like there in the back of your mind, but like, here it is. Yeah. But by the end, he's sort of like, you know, a good contrast to the other hotheads that we've already seen. Right. And everything else that's happening. Um, whereas Peter Falk, it's like, oh, this is a reasonable guy. And then he hops over the fucking counter to start beating that guy up for some cream. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah. Columbo? <laughs> Not Columbo. <laughs> Not Columbo. Um, <laughs> um you did it all for the love of johnny staccato <laughs> Stop. That's a real deep i think i'm gonna watch that someday i'm gonna watch it eventually it'll happen <laughs> can't get into that um but so we find out you know that like shelly was skimming money from the business and he came to see violet uh because he was afraid that caesar found out about it and so he was like looking for a way out and he also is like let's run away together violet this is like everyone is just in love with violet and wants to run away with her and you know what i get it we all do yeah everyone wants to you all violet completely fair i mean who wouldn't right and you know after the shelly thing she's like completely freaked out and wants to leave but is told to stay by caesar and you know mickey of course is like you know, let, you know, I, you know, you, you go out, you know, it's fine. I'll take care of this. Right. Um, and then like Violet goes to see Corky and the two are, you know, leave the scene. And this is when we sort of get the, like the true plot is sort of like in yes. motion um, with Corky being like, or not with Corky, with Violet being like, I want to make a new life for myself. I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. And she like, basically says like Caesar's going to bring nearly two million dollars back to the apartment and you know we should steal it like that's the idea and Corky of course is like I'm not interested because the mob is worse than any sort of cop because they don't operate by rules you yeah know? they have no um, regulations so like, out. who's watching the watchmen etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah and they have a lot of money and she's like if you fuck them you better do it right yeah and Violet is Iconic just like, line. Thank you to yes. for that line reading. And Violet is like asking her to do something that requires a level of trust that most people just don't have, right? And um, she like gives this like whole monologue about how like, you know, robbery and sex, like how these two kind of correlate and like you can sleep with somebody immediately, right? But like she needs to have this extensive knowledge to steal, you know? And there's this like whole great thing about how like, you get a room together, you go through the logistics, whatever, like, and it, and that ends up it's actually so being sort good. of mirrored later when yeah. they're planning the actual heist, which is fantastic. Um, but after Shelly is shot, you know, and killed by Johnny, who is the son of mafia boss, Gino Marzoni, who is, you know, the brother of the head of the Chicago crime family, uh, Caesar returns to the apartment with the bloody money we see joy pants laundering it quite literally oh my god and the bloody money what a like the coloring yeah impeccable. like oh beautiful and yeah i i mentioned the money laundering is just the ironing quite everything literally yeah and like i love that he's like all fired up about it but he's like more mad about like his shirt being ruined shirt. Than, like <laughs> anything else <laughs> his suit is everything to him it really plays into kind of like Caesar's like dweebious sort of instincts in this movie. It's just a like, dweeb. he's You're a right. dweeb, he's a weirdo, but he thinks he's a big shot, right? Because he wears a suit and he hangs out with high rollers. Like that's kind of the idea. Um, I also love, there's this little small detail where he looks, he tries to look for the laundry detergent in a cupboard under the sink. Like 
goes there and she's like, it's in the linen closets. And yeah. it feels like peak, like guy who's never done laundry <laughs> in his life expects his woman to do everything for him kind of a thing. And I love Great that he just like, does that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't notice it until this time. And I don't know why I noticed it, but there was just something very funny about it. Like him just going like under the sink, like yeah. fully expecting it to be there. Um, and like, then you get, um, after the money is counted and dried and everything, it's now in his, in a case on his desk. And that of course is incredibly important to- Integral, yeah. The plot itself. Um, Yes. And that evening, Gino and Johnny are going to come to the apartment and they're going to pick up the money, which gives Corky an idea for this plan. And I'll just read this whole gist because it's a whole thing that's like very detailed. And they basically just like act it out, you know, first before the plan. And it's like a very quick time in the movie. Like Um, it's very quick. They only got one day. Like this is their one shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, To quote Hamilton, (laughs) I'm I'm not going to do it. I will kill you. <laughs> you I don't even say that. <laughs> I hate Hamilton. Um, but so Violet will greet Caesar with the alcohol after he's done counting. Corky will be waiting next door, waiting for the shower. And when he's done with the shower, Violet is to go to the bar to get a bottle of Glenlivet and drop it on the floor because it is Gino's favorite liquor. And because they have only one bottle, she'll have to leave to go pick up another bottle. And when Violet opens the door to leave, Corky will slip in and when inside, she'll get the money, pick the lock with her earrings, and then she'll replace the money with newspapers. And then Violet is going to tell him she just saw Johnny downstairs and tried to get his attention, even though Gino's flight doesn't get in for an hour, which would imply that Johnny came into the apartment and stole the money himself and fucked him over. And him running would make people assume that he took the money. And when I say him running, I mean, Caesar running would make people assume that he took the money. Um, And like this is just like them spitballing in the bedroom together. It's that, that literal thing that we talked about, you know, planning a heist with somebody and the level of trust that requires. Um, and then like Violet is like, well, <laughs> you know, how did you get caught if you were this smart? And she said, I had a partner once she fucked me. And then you get this like incredible zoom when, you know, she says, I think we're going to find out like unbelievable like hell yeah you fucking will yeah it's so good i just love that like just the the accentuation of that line with just like this intense camera zoom is so fucking good and i just love how like unafraid of like being playful and like playing around with different setups and and camera techniques like they are in this movie it's just unbelievable and it just makes it so much more interesting and heightened and takes what I think would be a very normal kind of mob movie and like elevates it even further you know I guess there there's something like very different about this movie than like other mob movies and I was like obsessed with it (laughs) yeah I, you know, and I think when I think about mom movies that I like, obviously I like Goodfellas. I mean, that's like a great movie, iconic, right? Um, But when I think about like other favorites, I also think like, I think of Mikey and Nikki, I think of this because I think because they're more unconventional, you know, with Mikey and Nikki. Personal. Yeah. Like I love a personal story. Like give me just like small scale a little bit. Yeah. I don't need like a huge, like take down the whole mafia. Let me just like have like meet yeah. four characters and be very involved in their lives 
and both are about, you know, framed around a relationship between two people and both deal with the idea of trust and betrayal very heavily. Um, but Mikey and Nikki, what's interesting about that is that it's like, here's how unglamorous it is to be in the lower levels of like the mob, right? Yeah, like, right. Like Ned Beatty's sweating everywhere, complaining about parking, et cetera, et cetera. And then with this, it's like, just totally built upon this incredible relationship between these two women and just like, like and, and like trying to get out of that situation it's right. i mean and both we're are rarely I love them so on the women in in these mom movies yeah. right like, yeah they're never there let's Lesbian. throw anna paquin and fucking the irishman that's exactly what i was gonna say yeah, yeah. the irishman yep <laughs> like we we God. get like these women it impacts them more than the men sometimes so like let's get into it and it's Brilliant. I can't even tell you who who plays Robert De Niro's wife in that movie. Who knows? Couldn't fucking tell you. I doubt that Scorsese remembers. <laughs> I mean, Honestly. I mean that movie is three hours long. There's a lot of people in it. <laughs> three and hours and like Ray Romano. That's four, dude. Yeah, it's like three hours and thirty something minutes. Yeah, it's a lot. I will never watch it again. The fact that I even got through it the first time. I, I decorated my whole Christmas tree and like finished decorating it and like still had movie left yeah. to watch. I was like, okay. yeah, that's why this movie tight runtime, a tight runtime packs <laughs> a punch in this one hour and 48 minutes. I don't know how they do it. Uh, yeah, no, truly. <laughs> like It's incredible. Um, but so like, then we get the moment where Caesar finds out the money is gone and then he realizes that Gina will think he stole it if he runs. And so he decides to get the money back from Johnny. And like, you get this really great sort of like shot where it's like him looking inside the case, you know, and like you see it from his perspective to then becoming the case essentially like the camera is the case and it's like shaking and it's like focused on his face and like him freaking out and you just see his emotions in that moment um and it's like it just highlights how fucking good joey pants is in this movie like he immediately is just like on edge and completely disoriented by this reveal um and then like we have violet you know um threatening to leave after he starts panicking and Caesar is like you have to stay even though Corky was like you can just leave you can just leave he's like no that's not fucking happening yeah you wish um and basically suspects that she and Johnny may have stolen the money together and are going to frame him um Caesar also posits that Johnny should still have the money in the car after picking up Gino and then he put money in the case to humiliate him in front of Gino um so that he'd have a reason to take him out um and like she ends up giving him a great like film noir like kind of slap which i really love and appreciate oh, i was obsessed it's the best it's so great i mean i love a good good movie slap like that we love <laughs> it a woman slapping a man yeah incredible and i mean he deserves he's a fucking asshole um and then like corky of course is like waiting next door with the money um when Gino and Johnny and their and his bodyguard arrive um and you have this like incredible shot that I love of like Johnny like greeting Violet and bowing his head to kiss her hand and then you have this shot of Caesar just like seething behind him so mad oh, because Johnny's flirting with her so and then he he bends back up and you can't see him anymore and it's just such a master stroke of framing I'm obsessed with it yeah just like what a shot 
like that one perfect shot yeah that's literally the twitter account i'm calling you right now like i'm getting them on the line (laughs) from this point the writing just really you just really see how incredible the writing and the characterization of these characters are because yes like anyone could betray anyone at any point like very much we still don't know right like Corky mm-hmm. said like we're gonna find out like, I was stressed the fight. whole time like I was yeah. like is Corky gonna like I was like what is happening here like I was and, so stressed and even if Violet is true to Corky which she ends up being she could mess things up right and yeah Corky's having to coach her through everything every chance they get to talk on the phone right she could make a wrong move uh at any point and mess the whole thing up so it's yeah. just it's and they do get put in that situation, you know, yeah. because Caesar, of course, is acting so unpredictably that they cannot anticipate that he would behave as a rational person in this moment, you know, um, because like the plan is accounting for a person who is a little upset and runs, you know, like most people would, um, rather than like a man who is basically in the middle of like transforming into this like yeah. gigantic like like panic attack werewolf you know what I mean it's like just yes. constantly just threatening to take over his entire body he's just so furious and so upset and distraught um but it's incredible um and then like after this point we get like the really great shot also of Corky putting the money in the paint bucket juxtaposed with like the shot of the money being lowered onto the table like Ooh. it's it's incredible I love that they do that. They do it several times. It's such a good shot. Um, and then you get to like the actual conversation between them. And it's like so tense the entire time because it's like, we know that Johnny did not frame Caesar, but like Caesar doesn't know that. Johnny doesn't know that he's like technically that, also being framed. Yeah, right there's a lot of like withholding information from people and it like, it just like ramps up the tension tenfold. Yeah. And you know that Caesar is just like a live wire. Like he will be triggered at any single point and just like completely go off. You just don't know when it's going to happen. Um, and they really use that to help heighten the suspense. Um, so like you have like Johnny, like kind of sniping at Caesar about how like he overreacted to the thing with Shelly from earlier and like, which prompts like Caesar to ask Johnny to open the case in retaliation, but Johnny can't open the case because he doesn't, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't have the keys, which of course, Gino just sees it, or not Gino, Caesar just sees it as him like playing it off because he's yeah, playing he's dumb. Lying. Yeah. He's like, yeah. you have the key. It's like he's like so certain in his knowledge at that point. He's like, of course he's lying to me. He said, and it's on. a classic, it's a classic thing once again of like Caesar being so sure of himself and then being proven wrong, of course, by the end. Um, like just like with him being like, no, like Violet couldn't be hooking up with Corky. There's no way, right? His own ignorance is his own worst enemy. Um, But then like as Johnny opens the case, he realizes there's no money. Caesar points a gun at him and threatens um, him to reveal that he set him up to his father. Um, And you get this really great like confrontation where he shoots at the chair and you know, the next one hits your fucking dick is what he says. I was like, not Christopher Maloney's dick. (laughs) I have to preserve the like, family jewels i mean his ass like his ass looks that good i can only imagine <laughs> incredible and like you have like gino standing up to him and like 
this is where it becomes clear they have hired the most Italian man in existence oh my because God. he's just yeah. like, he's literally speaking Italian, but he's also like, gabish, you know? Like, he's it like, was so Italian. Talking about, talking about how he set him up and everything. Like, he's literally being held at gunpoint and he's like, gabish, you know? Yeah. Like, everything's cool. I'm the mob boss. And that's the other thing. He's like, I'm the mob boss here. Like, everyone's going to respect me. I have trust that that will not happen yeah he's just behaving irrationally he's not actually going to shoot me and of course he's proven (laughs) sorry dude you really put your trust in the wrong neurotic low-level monster guy yeah and like caesar ends up killing gino and johnny and their associate chris maloney as he's dying you know dramatically says you know don't shoot right um and just like falls to the ground he put in the work then you get like a a close-up he did. And you get a close-up shot of his ass as Caesar's like kicking him, which is, you know, Thank one you. for us, you know, one yeah. for the audience. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but there's also this detail that I noticed on my first watch where when when Joey Pants like picks him off the floor, like he like holds him up by his shoulders and he's like shaking him and he's like yelling in his face. Christopher Maloney, who is playing dead, blinks. He, like he flinches and he blinks. <laughs> I was looking, I always try to watch for those things yeah. and I didn't see it but it's there it's, it's very there. very much wow. I did notice it on my um, watch I, was I like... noticed it the first time and then was like oh wow I can't believe I just saw that and then the second time fully confirmed yes it is there I did not imagine yeah. it like he fully like blinks and then he like falls back like it's great <laughs> um and I'm very much also somebody who's always like watching in scenes where someone's playing a corpse to see if they're breathing or yeah. like how much they're breathing <laughs> yeah Having always takes me out a little bit. I'm like, wait a second. The realism. How dare they? How dare that living person playing a corpse <laughs> breathe for a second, right? Oh my god. Um, and then like Caesar tells Violet uh that they must find the money, dispose of the bodies, and pretend Gino and Johnny never arrived, lest their mob pals discover the men are missing. Um, but this is also when we get this incredible scene where the police end up arriving at the apartment complex because people reported hearing gunfire. Oh, man. And Violet is, like, stalling while Caesar cleans up. And, I like, was so stressed. You have the most oblivious cops in the history of cinema. Like, when... You want to know what's so smart in that scene is that waiting for the elevator, right? Yeah. Because not only does that increase the tension of that scene, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, is the elevator going to open quickly? Yeah. Are they going to get enough time? Yeah. But that yeah. also foreshadows the later scene when Violet has to wait for the elevator to yes. open to go back upstairs. It's Ugh. so good. Every detail, every detail. It's Perfect. it's incredible. And like, there's also this really incredible detail I love as well, because you have this like almost horror movie like music playing over the top. That's why I was like Because scared. they turn on the like- TV. I was like, oh no, is this movie gonna yeah. get like really scary? Like I didn't like realize yeah. at first that it was like the like I was just like very stressed. This might be the living dead, right? Yeah. Is, and I yeah. was like, I was like, uh, what's yeah, happening? it's yeah. So like they have that playing on the TV just because they've turned on the TV and that's the channel that it's on. And the music is like really ramping everything up, and you're thinking, oh, it's gonna happen right now. It's going to happen. Caesar's gonna shoot somebody. And then they turn off the TV. And it's like this like immediate sort of like, okay, no tension, right? And and it completely subverts your expectation that moment. And you're like, okay, maybe nothing will happen. But then 
they ramp it up again because the cop goes into the bathroom and oh there's clearly was... blood dripping on the floor, does not notice it. And then the other cop steps on the rug directly the where one of them is shot. noises, like the Foley artist. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Man, it's true. Yes, yes. Deserved Foley. a raise for that one because it was really uh, gross. And like, like the way that the blood just rises up from the carpet at, you know, when he steps on it and like completely oblivious to it. And you think, oh, maybe something will happen here. And then like, okay, we're good. Our job's done. We're going. Bye. Yeah. I was like, it's like, breathe. Okay. Yeah. Because any other movie, it would have been like, oh, this is immediately. End. I thought they were going to have shot. to kill the cops. Yeah. That was like my. It was going to be like a Fargo, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was, it's this uh, like spiraling thing of like more bodies are being piled on top of bodies, you know, because of the actions of Caesar. Like that would have been totally the move, I think, in any other movie. But they they're very smart and know that you're thinking that it's going to happen and it doesn't, which is just it's I mean, it's just a true masterwork of writing. It's it's unbelievable. Um, and then like also in general, I love in that scene, Joey Pants, just the way that he interacts with the cop because he acts like no human has ever acted before. Like, oh my God, like, he literally this looks like, like a, an alien. This is like, <laughs> yes, very alien-like. He's never talked to another person before and like just is so awkward. And like, you also think that would be the tell because of how weird he's being. And the fact that he's got a gun just hanging out of the back of his pants, but they don't notice that like at all. So oblivious. And it's yeah. so great. <laughs> he really plays that scene very well. Um, and so then after this point, Caesar then goes to Johnny's apartment. That's the scene where he's like tearing shit up. He's like freaking out because there's no money there. Yeah. Um, but when he he's calls to- Mickey, he tells yes. him, Gino hasn't come yet. I don't know why. They're not here. Yes. They're not here. He's it's really got to lie better. I was like. Yeah. I'm like, Mickey seems rich enough to have caller ID. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know you're calling from Johnny's place. It's yeah. for real. Literally. <laughs> And like, Mickey's like, yeah, I'll look around. Yeah, I believe you. And then at this point, Violet ends up calling Corky and tells her that Caesar is going to run to get rid of the bodies and that they can leave together. And Caesar ends up catching Violet on the phone and calls back using redial. Oh my God, that's um, And of course, scene. here's the phone on the other side of the wall. I was Ugh. literally just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And when Corky is like backing away from the receiver, I was like, this shot, unbelievable, amazing. And the way that they plant the idea that she can hear stuff on the other side of the wall because the walls are thin. Yes. So early what on, from moment one, you know, where she comes to the apartment for the first time and is like, yeah, the walls are thin. And that- then when she hears like Violet having sex, it's like, it's just such perfect little sort of subliminal little yes. like because when I was watching it for the first time I was on. like oh my god he can hear everything like they're fucked like I was like yeah oh my what is gonna happen next truly yeah um it's it's truly incredible and of course you get this like this whole sequence of you know joy pants being very violent towards these women terrible um pistol whipping Violet, you know, realizing that they stole the money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and like, also on the phone, I do want to note that like, I can't remember who says it. No, Corky says, I want to, no, Violet says, I want to tell you something. And Corky says, I know Violet is why I'm still here. And that's like the clear thing of like, I trust you. I love you. Like, this is like real. Yeah. It's so great. The they don't even have I to really be say with. it. Yeah. yeah. It's just there. It's a feeling. 
they don't fully have to verbalize it, but the audience gets it. Like we just at this point are so invested in them and want them to get out. Like we understand it completely. Um, and that's when we also get like the shots of like the camera over the wall when they're talking to the phone. Um, but then like, so Caesar ends up tying them up, threatens to torture them, demands to know where the money is. Um, and Caesar like is questioning Corky at gunpoint. And Violet's like, don't tell him because if he kills you, he won't know where the money is, right? And we get a great exchange of, you know, you know, Joy Pants saying, what did she do to you? And she says, everything you could. Ah, another incredible line. Honestly, the best. best. An Oscar should have been awarded. (laughs) To every single person involved at this point, truly. It's... I mean, and that kind of stuff, you know, I think out of context would seem cheesy or whatever, but it's like in the con- context no, it of the works movie, so well. which is so kind of stylized and has such a specific sort of vibe and is very much going for that neo-noir thing. It completely works. It doesn't take you out. It doesn't feel awkward or weird. It feels so natural for these characters to say it. It's, it's just so sophisticated, so sleek in such a specific way. And it all just totally works. And the dialogue reflects that. And I, I love it. It makes it really feel like a true neo-noir film. Um, and then like at this point, you know, he, he threatens to cut off fingers. That's happening, which of course, obviously has symbolic value in terms of like, you know, yeah. the hands being so important to, you know, pleasure between these two women. And that's like, you know, and that's such a violent act because of it. Um, and so like Caesar ends up being interrupted in the middle of this. Mickey arrives at the apartment complex and Caesar's like essentially making a deal with Violet to help him stall. And so while Mickey's there, she ends up calling the landline um, from Johnny's cell phone and convinces Caesar to like fake a conversation with her. Um, and basically she pretends to be Gino and explains that like, oh yeah, me and Johnny were in the hospital after a car accident. And she basically attempts to also negotiate for half the money if she gets, or if he gets rid of Mickey and no one else has to die. Um, And so then like, this ends up working. Mickey totally buys it. He's like, oh yeah, they're in the hospital. I'll go check. And the men leave and like Caesar goes to the apartment next door to check the money. And um, it's at this point that, Corky then, you know, in the middle of all this torture, basically, you know, tells Caesar she's hidden the money in the next door apartment and he goes to retrieve it. And as he finds the money, Violet ends up running away in that incredible bathrobe, obsessed. I need it. The elevator. And once inside the elevator, she calls Mickey and claims Caesar made her help him and hangs up. Um, It's so good. And like, yeah and that elevator is so incredibly important like you said I mean it's it's the place that Corky and Violet meet it's it's the place that she essentially sort of rescues them it's fucking everything hinges Um, on the elevator and I'm obsessed with it truly it takes you places quite literally (laughs) and also metaphorically yeah up and down different places to get a good showgirls reference in there um (laughs) and then like corky tries to stop caesar from taking the money but he beats her very violently violet then ends up arriving and holds caesar at gunpoint and she informs him mickey is on the way and then he should run while he can of course caesar being caesar is like no i'm not going to do that the fuck would i do that i'm i'm in charge here blah 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 yeah 
you know, oh, and you're not going to shoot me because of X, Y, Z. And like, it goes on this whole tear about it. And, you know, I know you too well, kind of a thing. And that's when we get Caesar, you don't know shit. And she shoots him. And then you get like the incredible shot of like the red blood on like the white paint on the floor. The white paint, everything about it. I was like, I truly like, and said, I was like fist bumping. Like, I was like, yes, let's go kill this man. I mean, the level of consideration for the story is great. When this happens, both times I've seen the movie, I'm like, but Corky's work that she's put into that apartment, (laughs) all this paint and blood all over it. She's going to have to do so much work. I have had to, this very office that I'm in right now, I have had to clean white paint. Excuse me. I've had to clean white paint off of the hardwood floors and it sucks. Oh, so I'm glad that she's getting out of there, but yeah, uh, what's, what's the maintenance guy's name? Uh, I forget, but he's um, I, I Lou. Like... Something that oh, I, I can't remember. I don't either. remember. Anyway. Not the point. Not the point at yeah. all. But yeah. But yes, you're like, damn, all of her hard work. It's it's very much me watching like a superhero movie and being like, God, why are they doing all that damage? Like, oh yeah. man, somebody's apartment just got ruined. Somebody's office is all fucked up now. Like yeah. that's all I can think about when I watch those movies. And also, I think also stems from my fear of the cool, the Kool Aid Man. Not necessarily like an actual genuine <laughs> terror or a fear related to him, but more so like the idea of like the Kool Aid Man busting through my wall and fucking my shit up, like fucking my room and up. All you really. get out of it is Kool Aid. Yeah, that he's like serving up from his body. I don't like that. Deeply uncomfortable. Like, what is like? What kind of fucked up community is this? Like, I'm not into that. I can't get into the Kool Aid. (laughs) But like, gotta drink the Kool Aid, Sky. But does that not seem like something that would give a child anxiety? Like a child that is you? Yeah, for sure. I just like the thought. Like, if you think about it too much, it's like, yeah, I'm like a giant pitcher. To be honest, I never thought of it. <laughs> but um, enough about the Kool-Aid man. Back to the, back to the movie. <laughs> For the um, Caesar is dead. Caesar's yeah. dead. Mac- uh, Mackie? <laughs> I said Mackie. Hello? Anthony Mackie is not in this movie. His name is Mickey. Mickey, who ends up believing Violet's story, you know, he, he comes to the apartment kind of at the end, tells her that he's going to find Caesar everything will be fine. They've disposed of the body. It's whatever. And Mickey also is like, Violet, I want you to be my girlfriend, you know? And she's like, I need a clean break, dude. I gotta go. It's been really difficult for me. Thanks, but no thanks. Let me give you a little kiss though on the way out. It's very Um, sincere seeming. Like we know it's not sincere, but like to him, he's like, she really has just like had a hard time and like this is the best thing for her because they're also in love with her and think she can do no wrong and think she's this little perfect angel because they're truly like truly deceived by her good looks i mean that's the whole thing it's very much like the halo effect it's also like like how like john ham and 30 rocks character like the whole thing is that like he's so attractive that people think he's just naturally good at everything and he's not yeah which I mean, and it's also just interesting to think about it from like a gender perspective as well, because it's like that like takes away like her autonomy and like it it, it forces her to be this like two dimensional person. Like they they just make these assumptions that oh she's beautiful she must be virtuous and kind and wonderful and like strip her of her own humanity in the process and she's able to reclaim that in the end. 
yeah. in the most fantastic way possible. I mean, it's it's great. Um, and so like at the end, Corky and Violet reunite in the truck. You know, they put on their little fashionable sunglasses. I want a pair. What an iconic look. They do a little smooch in, you know, which we always they appreciate. Hold they hold hands. It's so cute. Very like Thelma and Louise, but like this time they're actually fully confirmed lesbians, you know, like, and they drive off. And what and I love- like the greatest needle drop ever. Yes. Oh, and you get also the line, you know the differences between me and you, Violet? No, me neither. And end of the movie, they yes. drive off. Just, I was like, hell yeah, let's go. She's a lady. Tom Jones, thank you. It's uh, it's so fucking good. I just, it it just has everything you want. It has a satisfying resolution. It has a great needle drop. It has, yeah. you know, the couple getting together in the end after all this, you know, all I these know. trials and tribulations. so satisfying. And, and it just is so wild to think about that, like, if this had been like a traditional neo-noir film and like Corky was a man, you know, this would just be, you know, probably the man running off and, you know, mm-hmm. Corky, not Corky, a uh, Violet would have uh, met. Yeah. A really yeah. sad end. Yes. Um, or been betrayed in a major way. And so I, I love that they just fully are like, no, we're going to make the femme fatale, like the hero of this movie in the and best way possible. It's so fucking good. I just, I can't believe it. I love it so much. This movie's incredible. It's on Hulu. Everybody watch it. It's also trending on Hulu right now because of Friday Month specifically. I, you know what? Good. I'm, I hope more people see this because. Sure. Yeah. People needed to rediscover this movie. Cause. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I've obviously seen like a lot of the Wachowski's movies. I've even seen Jupiter ascending many times um, because I have a mental <laughs> illness. Um, and I had never seen this and now I'm like, damn, this is going to be in the rotation of movies I rewatch because it feels so like good. endlessly rewatchable and it's just yeah. great. I loved it. Yeah. Criterion release when, you know what I mean? Like it's that level. Really? It's, it's incredible. Um, and also I have to say, I didn't reveal this information earlier, but I will reveal it now. My first time watching this movie was directly after watching the woman in the window. So that made it 10 times nicer. <laughs> wow. Because that what is a, a double movie, feature. Which I mean, that movie, besides being bad, is a clear homage to Alfred Hitchcock because that's like the story is built upon that. It's yeah. built upon literal like homage to Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. So Joe Wright, trying his best, tries to play with that idea a lot and, and really tries to sort of use Alfred Hitchcock as a basis for the film. And the problem is that it's so bug nuts that it's like, there's, it just does not, it doesn't operate in any sort of reality. And (laughs) then you have like this movie, which like, while it has like homages and like, you can clearly tell its influences. Like it feels- It's its own thing. Yeah. It's because so the woman in the window is not the woman in the yeah. window is trying so hard to cling on to those references, which is mostly the source material's fault. And like, it would have been interesting to have that movie, no explicit reference references to Hitchcock. And it just naturally kind of pay homage to it visually. Yeah. But this movie is great because it, it, it's a neo-noir film that does its own thing, but also visually does not pay much reverence to to Billy Wilder, it does its own thing entirely, and it, it's their own voice, their own style, and that makes it so much greater. And I mean, don't watch the woman in the window. Don't watch Just it. Watch it's this n- twice. it's yeah. not even fun as like a 
as like a you know so bad it's good kind of a watch no, it's, it's just, just like bad. not it's just not good also the message is like low-key very sort of misogynistic i it makes sense when you find out about the guy who wrote it completely i'm scared that, that's a whole other episode you know what i mean <laughs> like i'm scared okay do we have yeah. any final thoughts about bound that we would like to say let's go lesbians let's go lesbians Let's go lesbians, indeed. And um, so for this week's What the Plot, Ammon is going to guess the plot to Easy Rider. Yeah, Easy Rider. I have no idea when this movie came out. Oh, wow. I've heard the title many times, <laughs> okay. but I'm going to just take a stab at yeah, it. Take a stab. I'm going to say that it's about James Dean on a motorcycle uh going around the country performing good deeds and he's easy to get along with and that's why he's the easy writer mm. and is there what's the central conflict in this yeah is there anybody else in this movie what's the central going on conflict is that he falls in love with a girl on his travels and um her brother doesn't like him because uh james dean is too like smooth and suave mm. and like he's not blue collar enough for them yeah but then he wins them over kind of like Ted Lasso style like he's just an easy guy to get along with and then yeah I love the whole town loves him I love James That's Dean as Ted Lasso is there is there anyone else you would cast in this movie um okay well if I were on James Dean times I guess maybe he falls in love with is Kim Novak the right age I like Kim Novak <laughs> I think so, she might be a little young. Might be a little too young. But but then again, she was like hooking up with Jimmy Stewart and Vertigo, and she was like definitely way younger than him. So I I don't know. It just throw me off. It's hard to like yeah. contextualize things sometimes. Um, they were about the same age. She was actually two years older than okay. him. Okay. Oh, oh wow! Go. I just assumed you know he died at twenty four. Oh, but if you follow the on cinema universe he's been found again <laughs> god start as dracula in decker versus dracula don't forget oh god um <laughs> okay so if you don't have anything else to to input here i would gladly like to explain yeah. this movie to you yeah yeah I, i'm excited to hear what this actually well is. to begin with it was released in 1969 so okay. a little bit after uh james dean uh unfortunately perished he died in 1955 so <laughs> um it also stars Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. Uh, Dennis Hopper directed Dennis is the movie. In it. He directed mm-hmm. it too. Yeah. Directed it. Oh, really? Um, and the general idea is that, you know, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper are these two bikers who go on a cross country trip to sell drugs. And they're very much a part of the counterculture. And they come sort of at odds with you know the people that they run into particularly in small towns that's kind of the thing and but they just go all sorts of places they meet jack nicholson at one point um and then tony basil who is the singer of hey mickey is in it for a minute like as like these women that they they pick up and like they go on a drug trip it's all yeah they take lsd Um, at one point (laughs) they're like like crying about his mom yeah it's a full drug movie yeah. And the thing is, is that like this movie is so instrumental in, you know, 
new Hollywood because it's like, this is the counterculture. It never been really portrayed like this. So this changed everything. This marks a complete turning point in cinema. Um, and like the new age of cinema and like what becomes popular, um, you know, and leads to people like John Cassavetes, you know, really having like really just exploding in the seventies. It's a pretty good movie. I like easy rider. My dad made me watch it as a teen and I really enjoyed it, you know? Amon, would you like to plug your social media handles or anything? Yeah, um, so I am on Twitter as Jack E. Daytona. That's the letter E. Um, Jack E. Daytona, baby. Yeah, we will he changed link lives. It. He's a regular <laughs> bartender. Um, yes, yeah, Twitter's my main thing right now. Um, I do have an old podcast that I don't really record anymore with Janelli called R-Rated <laughs> Movies. So the episodes are still out there. You can... <laughs> Uh, listen to those not as good as the podcast but still pretty good. <laughs> thank you on social media you can find us at blessed pick on twitter and on instagram at blessed.picture please feel free to rate review subscribe on itunes that really helps us out you can find us anywhere you get your podcast overcast spotify pocket Casts, um and recommend us to your um friends who are you know in the mob maybe and who like want to escape with their like hot lesbian neighbor i don't know just maybe (laughs) maybe maybe yeah um and that's everything that's the podcast um as always let's go lesbians let's go jennifer tilly if you hear this give us a call yeah (laughs) gina gershon please thank you i'm free on friday night yeah. Even Joey Pants. You know. Joey what? Pants, yeah, give us a call. Even Joey Pants, give us a call. Calls up. Let's go, lesbians. <laughs>